But you could be spending a couple months a year in Canada and the U.S. and making connections here and there such that you can build a business there, right? You don't actually need to live in a place in order to build a business there. And I think that's what's beautiful about the generation, the time that we live in now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Off to the Valley, a podcast that brings to light incredible stories of those who left the familiarity of home for new horizons. I'm your host, Pratik Panda, always curious and eager to share these journeys of courage and determination. Today, we are thrilled to have Melissa Kwan join our podcast. Melissa is the co-founder and CEO of eWebinar. eWebinar is a SaaS platform that lets you deliver automated webinars for sales demos, onboarding, and training. She's a true embodiment of the principles and spirit that we value highly. And her journey shows the incredible outcomes of stepping out of your comfort zone and into new adventures. Melissa, thank you so much for joining the show. Thanks so much for having me. Tell us a bit about your background. You grew up in Hong Kong and Canada. How did the move happen? You moved <laughs> at a younger age, so I guess you didn't have much of a say in it. But how did no that say. shape you as a <laughs> how did that say. shape you as a person? Yeah, absolutely. So I moved to Canada when I was nine. I grew up in Hong Kong. Everybody was escaping the Chinese takeover. Turned out it wasn't a big deal. And Canada's home for me. So went to elementary school all the way to graduation. Grew up in Calgary. I went to university in Vancouver, where I guess you're from right now. Yep. Or where, where you are living, not where you're from, where you're That's living. That's true. And yeah, eventually started my first company after working a few odd jobs here and there. The last job that I quit was at SAP, right in downtown Vancouver. Quit that job when I was 27. Started my first company. I'm on to my third now. So 14 years as an entrepreneur, always bootstrapped, third company. And right now I am building eWebinar which is a platform that automates live webinars. So we turn any video into an interactive webinar that you can set on a recurring schedule. So you never have to do things like demos, training, onboardings over and over again. So okay. think about it as like the Netflix of webinars. But in that process for my last startup, I moved to New York to just be around, I guess, more of my people. Canada and, and Vancouver was more of a kind of retirement sleepy town or like a college town. And I needed more motivation because I couldn't really do it on my own. So I moved to New York in my early 30s, turned out to be one of the best decisions I ever made. And that was for my last company. And that okay. company I ran for five years and was acquired in 2019. And that was actually what gave me the confidence and capital, but also the idea to start eWebinar about two months after I sold that company. I've run eWebinar now for about five years. And we're just at about 2 million ARR, also bootstrapped. That's great. I think very few people understand the pain and the joy in bootstrapping your business and getting to a million, two million. It's not a small feat. And I know with my last startup, we did raise a very small amount of VC money and our growth curve was not what VCs are happy with. And we switched, you know, at one point, there was a day when we almost decided to shut down the company. And yeah. then it was like some of our mentors told us that in terms of metrics and growth, you're still doing so much better than most companies out there. And why would you want to kill your startup? And <laughs> from there, the mindset started evolving in, in, into profitability. How do we have sustainable growth and so on? And life definitely got easier after that. You also host a podcast called Profit-Led. What's yeah. your thesis around that? Yeah, so Profit-Led was a creative side project. I was a little bit tired of just doing software. <laughs> um, I think like anybody that is in software can relate to this. It's like, it's just not tangible, right? It's not like a 
product. It's not like I make a cup and I feel this cup, right? So yeah. a lot of work in software, especially in the beginning, feels thankless, I guess, and also never ending. And uh, a couple of years ago, I had an idea for a podcast that would help promote the idea of bootstrapping and just to introduce a different idea of success to founders mm -hmm. like me. Because only 1% of startups are venture funded, which means 99% yeah. of them are bootstrapped. So we're actually the norm, whereas the media makes us believe that the 1% is the norm because they're the ones yeah. that get written up upon. And I've seen both sides of the coin. And I, of course, talk about the benefits of bootstrapping multiple times a week on, on LinkedIn as well, uh, because I want to promote the idea that there are many different faces of success. It's not getting venture capital, getting Andreessen Horowitz. Like that's one, that's one path. Mm -hmm. But the other path is defining your own idea of success and just living life, building a business that sustains the lifestyle that you want and exiting for an amount that's not a billion dollars, right? Something that's realistic. Right. Like, so yeah. if you own 80% of the company, you have some friends and family investors, you sell for 5 million. That's a life changing outcome. And yeah. most people don't make that money ever in their life. Mm -hmm. Right. So I wanted to start something that lets people know that you can be successful in many ways and that a lot of you feeling like you need to be everyone else is just your ego and also the media talking. So that was kind of the beginning of, of Profit-Led. So I had just one season interviewed 15 people that were in my position. But actually, the second season is really about our own journey from zero to a million ARR. So okay. we really want to dive into, like on each episode, something that we did that worked and didn't work and all the trials and tribulations of a relatable startup, right? Not a funded startup, just like your startup next door that had yep. to figure it out with no money, how we got from zero to a million in three years. Can you tell us a little bit more about your move to New York City? Yeah, so I, um, I love Canada, like that's still home and I grew up there and I had, you know, I had a very, very solid support system. Like all my friends I grew up with were there. But when you grow up in a smaller town, uh, as opposed to, you know, New York or LA or San Francisco, people choose a certain life, right? They choose more like domestic life where they get married young, have kids, buy a house, they trade up in a house and life is great. But for an entrepreneur, it's like normal or like mediocre, right? And I never felt like I fit in. I always felt a little different, but I couldn't really verbalize it. So we're um, talking about like in my 20s and early 30s where all my friends were getting married, buying houses, getting promotions and jobs. And I was barely making rent, trying to build my startup. And I didn't want to get married, right? I didn't want kids. And yeah. so I asked one of my friends that I respected, who was also a mentor at the time, you know, what was the best thing he did for his career? And he was like, when I was in my 20s, I had 600 bucks in my pocket and I moved to New York. Mm -hmm. And the rest was history. And at that time, I thought to myself, well, I have more than 600 bucks. You know, I can go to New York. So a month later, having never gone to New York, when I was 31, I moved to New York, got an apartment on Airbnb for a couple months, and then eventually rented a house with some friends. Um, but I really just went to New York on a whim. And I think there was a lot of fear about leaving home, Dude. especially in your 30s, right? How do you make friends? Yeah. Everyone has their friend group. Right? How do you yep. make friends and how do you feel accepted and comfortable in a new city 
but I was, I just felt different enough back home and that it wasn't serving me anymore, that I just needed a new adventure. And ironically, even though in New York, I didn't know anybody, I felt more at home. I felt more that I could be myself Hmm. because everybody was there to accomplish a mission. And I was also on a mission. Whereas back home, nobody understood my mission. So the deeper I got into that mission, the less I was able to connect with them and have a conversation just like over brunch. So everything became like really superficial at home. And then everything in a new place became more connected to who I was at the time. Um, And it turned out to be the best decision I made because a week after I moved to New York, I also met my life partner, who is now my co-founder to eWebinar. That's amazing. And because of him, I got to leave New York to Nomad for three years. And then we eventually found Amsterdam, which we have a home base. It's just a kind of a butterfly effect of, of things that happen if you take the leap towards something you don't know. Was it scary? Yeah, of course. Like, can you go to a place when you're 31 with no friends? Like, I'm not talking like I have one friend. I have yeah. zero or I had zero friends. So, of course, it's scary. But so I what... think as an entrepreneur, you thrive off risk. You, you want it to be different. You want it to be uncertain. You want it to be scary. That's what gives us energy. Yep. That's what allows us to do what we do every day. So yep. I didn't really know at a time, but I think even though it was scary and hard, it was like energizing. That's amazing. And thanks for sharing that. And you told a little bit about how it was scary, but you know, you had that urge to go figure your life out and be yourself in a new city. A lot of our listeners are from India, South Asia, Southeast Asia, Mexico, South America. A lot of them are startup founders and are trying to move to the U.S. For people still on the fence about it, what would you say is special about New York City and why should they still go ahead and just take the plunge? My perspective in New York City is very, very different. I think, than, you know, people in Southeast Asia, like because I was from Canada and I was mm-hmm. actually born with a U.S. passport. I've since given it up. Yeah. So going to New York was much easier for me. But it's it's special. But it's I mean, honestly, it's the greatest city in the world because it's just like most talented people. You have to be because if you're not talented, you can't survive. Yeah. Right. It's like the epicenter of talent in the world. But if you don't have that capital to move to New York, there are a number of places that are amazing. It's, it's London, it's Hong Kong, it's Bangkok. Like I'm currently in Bangkok right now. Like that's where I spend my winters. Um, it's Lisbon, right? So many startup programs there, like a lot of startup visas that you can get. Yep. I think the idea of like, like I heard this really funny thing way back when that really stuck with me is that the American dream is the Canadian lifestyle. So I actually don't think the American dream is what it used to be in our parents' age. If you can get to New York, great, go there. But if it's too hard, don't do it. There are many other incredible places that you can go. But go to a place that gives you energy. Go to a place where you are with your peers. Like I left Vancouver because I felt alone. I felt different and I was lonely. And nobody was there to motivate me. Yeah. And when you're surrounded by other entrepreneurs, like you're, you're energized, you feel yeah. the same and you feel like you're with your tribe. So while New York is special to me, I would also encourage people that can't actually get into America because it is hard 
to look at other business centers of the world. And nowadays with Slack and communities and like on deck and all those things, like you can find communities anywhere you go, but yep. definitely be in a place that gives you energy, not takes it away. That's great. And in, in fact, you mentioned about the American dream. And uh, I lived in California seven years before moving to Vancouver. And, you know, one of my friends, I met him in California and we became good friends. He's originally from Israel, struggled to get into the U.S., finally got a U.S. green card. But he called me one day and he's moved to Costa Rica. And he called me and said, Pratik, I found my American dream in Costa Rica. So the thing is, everybody's chasing this American dream, but it looks like it's not in America. Uh, yeah. it's, it's somewhere else. And, and it could mean different things to different people. I think the point yeah. is to understand what it means for you and where can you find it. And every okay, journey but, is different. But absolutely, America, America is where the money is at. That's true. But the world is flat. So you can make software anywhere in the world like we do yeah. and sell it to Americans, sell yeah. it to Europeans, right? Sell yeah. it to Indians. Like you are no longer limited by your geography. So why do you have to physically be living in that place? Like you could be spending a couple months a year in Canada and the US and making connections here and there such that you can build a business there, right? You don't actually need to live in a place in order to build a business there. And I think that's what's beautiful about the generation, the time that we live in now. And like the sharing economy, like Airbnb and booking and all those things makes it so easy yep. to just pick up and go and find a place and pay like at market rent or a little bit above and have the same experience as if you were a resident. You talked a little bit about you starting a co-living experience in New York as well. How did you, you know, find courage to do something like that? You were in a new city. You said you didn't know anyone. And then wanting to share an apartment with strangers. Yeah. So New York is the only place in the world where you could be 50 and sharing an apartment and it's normal. <laughs> That's, let's like preface it with that. But basically yeah. when I moved to New York or when I was even thinking about moving to New York, a friend of mine said, hey, like I know about this housing project. There's a couple people that want to rent a five bedroom, two level brownstone. They're missing like a third founder. If you're thinking about moving to New York, maybe this is a good opportunity. And on the same track of like having no friends, I saw that investing in the lease of this apartment would be my ticket to meeting new people. And so the whole idea of the house was like, this was like before we lived, before co-living spaces, like we're talking like 2017. So it was supposed to be a place where we would live and work, but also have a place to host professional and personal events. Yeah. Because in Manhattan, spaces are so small that nobody has space. Like our dining table fit 18 people, and that was very rare. Yeah. But the problem with New York City is you can't rent a place until, unless you put in like, for example, like six months, six deposit. months rent as deposit hmm. and then have a guarantor. So you can imagine what the deposit is if the rent is $12,000 times six. Yeah. So they were missing that one person to to do that investment. So. As I was thinking about moving away from Vancouver, I kind of took that as a sign. And I basically sold my car in Vancouver because in New York, you don't need a car. And instead of paying off my credit card debts, which is what a sensible person would do, <laughs> I uh, <laughs> took that money and, and became the third co-founder to this housing project. And that became 
the, I guess, catalyst for every friendship and every professional relationship in New York for three years. That's amazing. Let's switch gears a little and talk about eWebinar. It's essentially a PLG company for all of our listeners. I, I think everybody understands, but still a product-led growth company where product drives growth itself. But you kind of had no idea about what PLG is and you learned it on the fly. Tell us a little bit more about that experience. I love the fact that you did all this research. <laughs> <laughs> all your questions are basically like nailing it. Uh, <laughs> so um, I'm on my 14th year of entrepreneurship. My first two companies were both in enterprise and my career before that was in sales to companies. So my entire premise of who I am and my businesses is built on enterprise sales. So I thought I knew what I was doing. Like I'm very good at cold calling, emails, meeting people face-to-face, -face, signing contract face-to-face, -face, but never done a PLG company before, never done inbound. Like I've always been jealous of people that do that because I hate showing up in real life. Yeah. But coming to eWebinar, I thought I want to build a company that is 100% sold over the internet. I don't want to do any calls, no conferences, and it's going to be priced accordingly. What I mean by that is like, if you are charging somebody 10 grand a month, you're showing up. Like they have your cell phone number, which is what I was doing before. But if you're charging people a hundred bucks a month, like everybody goes to an inbox, like nobody has your phone number. And that's the business I wanted to build because I'm nomading nine months of the year. I'm in a different time zone all the time. Like I just want my freedom. I don't want my schedule to be tied to my customers. So. Coming to eWebinar, because I'd always had success selling, I thought, how hard could it be? If it turns out that trying to get people to come to your website without talking to them, having them sign up on trial, putting their credit card, and then keeping their credit card in and continuing <laughs> on the trial is 10 to 20 times harder than talking to someone face-to-face -face and guiding them through the, the sales cycle. So that was like a rude awakening, I think, a year into eWebinar, like realizing, like, I do not have the skills to do this. Yeah. But it was a challenge. And I think every founder, like, what do you do when you have a challenge? You figure it out. Like, you don't have a choice, right? You're invested. I put in my own money. Other people invested in my dream. So I think that was just a rude awakening. And I think in life, you're either a student or a teacher and you get to choose. If you're a teacher, you learn nothing. But when you, when you surrender, right, and you start the day with, I don't know what I'm doing. Let me figure it out. Then you start to uncover these things and you start turning stones over. And so it's been a couple of years since we realized, okay, we actually have to learn everything new. And a, a product-led growth company is not a product company. It's a marketing company. It's, a, it's hmm. really a marketing-led and customer-led company. And yes, of course, you have to have a good product so people talk about you. But how do you get them to even know about you in the first place? So all of that is new for the last year. And it's what myself and my COO, who is really like the third co-founder, is trying to figure out. And we're constantly trying to figure it out. And we don't really know what we're doing yet. And then the toughest thing about being a bootstrap company is you don't have money to throw at a problem. That's true. So what are the $0 marketing strategies that we could deploy to get more eyeballs. But that was the journey to realizing I actually don't know what I'm doing. Mm. And the stuff that I knew for 15 years no longer apply. So where do you start? Yeah. 
Talking about uh, bootstrapped companies, you've also mentioned it took you around 36 months or so to get to your first million in ARR. Considering this is your first time doing a PLG product, you, it took you about three years to get to a million dollar ARR. If you were to start something today, would you do something different to maybe get there faster? Or have you learned something in the process that would make you feel more confident about doing this again? Absolutely. Um, and I'm glad you asked that because I was actually yesterday thinking about what I would do differently next time around if I were to have a company. Like yep. eWebinar for me is my retirement plan. Like either I sell this for retirement money or it generates enough money for me to just live well, uh, but I'm not starting another one because I have to. My next project will be a passion project because otherwise what's the point? And so I thought about the most successful people I know in my circle the most successful people I know in my circle are all marketers who sell consumer products and like luggage company, a dog food brand, like tangible stuff. If I were to do this again, I would not start a tech company again. One, it's because of the challenge. I want to learn something different. I am actually super interested because I'm like such a big fan of Instagram and I want to be sold to on Instagram. Because I want to see how they do it and I want to learn about new products. And I've gotten really cool products from there. And I, I'm so fascinated by how you get a product into the hands of someone, but I've never had the time to learn it. So that's like my next fascination is like, I want to see like, how do you produce something? And then how do you market it? Getting it into someone's hands. But when I was thinking about it yesterday, I was like, wait, like all the most successful people I know, like hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue are consumer product entrepreneurs that started off as marketers. So if I were to do it differently, I wouldn't do tech again because tech is a lot of upfront with uncertain returns. Like tech returns are very like black and white. And if you are a company that sustains, you don't sell for a lot. So it's still kind of black and white, right? Like you can have a $10 million company, but if you don't grow for five years, nobody will pay you 10 times multiple. They only pay you 10 times multiple if you're growing at 50 to 100% a year. So while your $10 million company pays you great for 10 years, like there is no real payout kind of at the end, right? So yeah, so I think I would next time around challenge myself to think about different types of businesses and see like what else is out there in the world that I can do. But I've got this like utopian dream that I would sell this thing for like retirement level money and then I would just have these passion projects that would cover my expenses. And I would never like touch my savings, but let's see what happens. Although my next question is very personal, you can choose not to answer. What do you think is retirement money? My number is 10 million. Okay. Why is that? I have no idea. It's like an <laughs> ego talking. But I'll tell you a funny story. Like I, I am an advocate for lifestyle over revenue. Mm -hmm. like happiness over business. Like we are a lifestyle company. We're super bootstrapped. We're a hundred percent remote. Like we pay people more than quote unquote market rate in the countries that they live in. We give good bonuses because we want people to stay. We encourage them to take time off. Like we want them to be happy. Yeah. And in December, I always take a month off in December. Like not completely. Like I, I'm, I'm like engaged, but I'm not doing stuff. And coming back into the new year, was extremely, extremely difficult mm. because I was reminded how little I enjoy working and how much mm. I like having fun. And so 
the first thing I did when I came back to work, like second week of January, was I took out my cap table because we have some friends and family investors. And I started doing calculations on what is the minimum amount that I can sell for <laughs> to never work in. And then I started questioning, is it 10 million? Is it 3 million? Is it 4 million? Like, how much do I actually need? So I feel like that number kind of fluctuates. I say 10 because I think like my ego says 10. It's like, sounds like a cool number. But at the end of the day, like how much money do we actually need to live a great life? Like, I don't really spend more than 10,000 a month and I live pretty large. Yep. So that's like a thing that I question all the time is like, why do I need that? Is it a need or is it a want? But I do think that like creating stuff is fun. Yep. So how awesome would it be if I could just create a project that's fun and, you know, that just kind of covers expenses and then I could just have a nest egg that I can transfer to, you know, my partner's kids or, or whatnot. Yeah, I think a lot of people, especially on Twitter, do stuff like that. I know a couple of guys I was talking to recently who do these weekend projects and each one of them has a very short life, makes money for maybe a couple of years or so, and they take it to a point where they can make uh, $100,000 off of it in two years or so. But that's still great money and it keeps you excited. You might still have your day job, but your weekend passion project fuels your retirement fund or keeps you excited enough to wake up every day and spend on luxuries or whatever else that you might want to. The key is understanding what's enough, right? Mm. What is enough? You read about all this shit on LinkedIn or whatever. You're like, I need, or I'm making six million a year. And you're like, seriously? You're making <laughs> six million a year as a solo entrepreneur selling a course? Like, what the heck am I doing? But at some point, you got to draw the line and be like, okay, this is enough because there are other priorities in my life that I want to spend time on. Mm. But I'm all about doing what makes you happy. So if what makes you happy is working all the time so you can IPO some company, you should do that. But I actually think that that's not what most people want. I think most people work to have complete freedom. Like we yeah. think we want to be rich, but what we want is complete freedom. Freedom to call our shots, right? To spend time with friends and family, to go to anything we want without asking for permission. To have every experience we want without looking at the cheapest flight or the cheapest hotel that we can stay in. For me, that's freedom. And it doesn't actually take that much. I don't want to own a yacht or a plane. I just want to be able to book a flight anytime I want without like trying to optimize. And I think like 20K a month, like 20, 30K a month is, is plenty, is actually plenty to spend. And if you are an entrepreneur, like, I would encourage you, stop looking at the 100 millions. It's not realistic. Yep. Like it could be you, but it probably won't. Yep. So think about how to make your first 10K and then 20K and then 30K. Don't think in terms of hundreds of millions. Yep. First, take care of yourself and then set a goal that feeds your ego. But if you don't exist, there's no big payout. But that don't kill sense. yourself in the process. Yeah, and I think that lesson is also more important in a bootstrapper's journey, right? And how do you, like, I know you've been doing this for a while. This is your third bootstrap company. So you might have, like, conditioned yourself to certain things. But if somebody is taking their first stab at a bootstrap startup, what do you tell them to motivate them to not get 
bogged down by, you know, all the other stuff that media is throwing at you? Yeah, that, I think that's really hard. Um, it's like, it's like going to the gym, you know, it's a muscle. You know, it's not like black or white, you know, it's like something you have to train because today you could be like, yeah, I'm not going to be bogged down by that. And then tomorrow you go back to where you, you are. Yeah. It's, a, it's reprogramming. But I would say that uh, the media and the world has a, some sort of defined idea of success, like who you should be, like getting invested in by a VC, a, a, better yet, a, a brand name VC, being on the cover of Forbes or TechCrunch and having all the accolades, top 30 under 30, top 40 under 40. Like in the end, none of those things matter outside of a momentary blip in your ego. Or like the only thing that I say to people is like really figure out what is your idea of success. And it's not always a number, right? So my idea of success is no alarm clocks. I, I'm a night owl. I don't get up in the morning. I don't take meetings in the morning. I have to be able to do what I, what I do from anywhere in the world. So completely nomadic, completely remote team. I don't want any employees. So I only want contractors. I want to make enough money so I can do whatever I want at the time that I want. I want to go to as many weddings, festivals, parties as I want to in the year. I don't want to look at price point when I order food at a restaurant. Like, I don't want to be price conscious. So that's my idea of success. My idea of success is not, I want to own a yacht. I want to fly private. Yeah. I want to have this penthouse. I think most people think that the idea of success is like something superficial. Yep. But I would encourage people, especially first-time founders, to look deeper. Ask yourself, if you want that penthouse, why? Do you need all that space? Or do you want other people to say, hey, you're super cool? So... When you start diving in, you start to realize that a lot of these things are driven by ego. And I would also say that it's hard to not be enamored by that when you're younger, because I was. As you live, you start to realize, like, there are so many more things in your life that, are, that make you happy than making money at work. So spending time with friends, traveling, experiencing different cultures, building communities, like, Work is just a means to do more of those things. So I think just have a very clear definition of what success means to you at any given point in your life. And then you will know when to stop. Yep. And it's a, it's, that is a muscle that you have to build. Because the next thing, like when, even when you're comfortable with yourself, you go to some startup event and everyone's talking about the millions that they raise and all of a sudden you, you're right back where you started. So the hardest thing is to be comfortable and confident in your own idea of who you want to be and then feel like when you're in that environment, just brushing it off, right? Just brushing it off and being like, you know what? I hear that's what you want, but that's not what I want and I'm unaffected by it, right? That's, that's like the the nirvana, I guess, <laughs> like entrepreneurship. I think that's great advice. And I think everybody deep down knows that. It's just that we don't want to acknowledge it. You know what you really need. You know why you need the penthouse or you know when it's about ego. A lot of times we just don't want to acknowledge it. And uh, we just keep running because that's what we're supposed to do or we've been conditioned to do. But Melissa, on that note, I think that was amazing advice. I, I think everybody listening to this would find it really helpful. But this was the conversation that at least I needed today. So uh, <laughs> <Awesome>. <laughs> thank you so much for spending time with us. And 
it feels like there is so much more to talk to you about and hopefully we will find time to talk about a few other things once again. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for having me. And that wraps up today's episode. Before we sign off, I would like to thank you for your support and thanks for tuning in. If you loved today's episode, then don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and never miss an episode. Be kind, be happy, challenge is the norm. I'll see you folks again for the next one.